that every single promise that we have comes because of Jesus. That's really important for us to to get into our heart and into our minds. So all your promises are yes and amen. Kids, we love you. Have an awesome time. Bye-bye. Have fun. Do good. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about the God of promises because that's who he is, the God of promises. And hopefully by the end of this sermon, what my goal is is that you'd have a different picture in mind of the word promise because we hear it all the time. I'll be there. I promise. I promise. I promise. And guess what? Many times people don't fulfill their promise, so that word sometimes has little value for us. Now, if you guys ever hang out with me and we watch a movie together, uh, every once in a while I'll say things because there are certain things that just bother me. And one is when somebody makes a promise that they can't keep. You know, when, when they say, like, for example... You know, the world's about ready to end and all this things. I'll keep you safe, I promise. Well, how can you keep someone safe when you can't even keep yourself safe? You know what I'm saying? But, but you know, these, these promises or everything's going to be exactly perfect. Everything's going to be fine when we really don't know the outcome or the results of things. And so sometimes we've been given promises and they've fallen so short is that we really don't have expectations when the word promises come about, at least we keep them low so that we don't disappoint ourselves. And there are certain people, though, that we know. It used to be in the olden days, they say, my word is my bond. You know, I said it, I, sh- I shook hands, and that's it. I'm, I don't need a contract because when I say something, I mean it. But now it doesn't seem like our culture as a whole has that kind of concepts. We even have people who have massive contracts of millions and billions of dollars and they try to get out of them or loopholes and do all these things and try to to maneuver things but when it comes to God we have to understand that when he says a promise it's true because of who he is and we'll see that in just a minute but this word promise means to pledge to do, to bring about, or to provide something. That's a basic idea of the word promise. And so when God gives us promises, God's promises flow out of eternity. They flow out of eternity. God began to promise even before anything was created. You've got to remember, God's a trinity. So... The Father, Son, Holy Spirit speak, don't they? They talk to one another. They communicate. They give themselves wholly and completely to one another. There's that interesting aspect of the one God who's who's three, like we call, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't like any of the language we use trying to describe the um, the Trinity because what it does, like if we say, like, God in three persons. When we think of a person, we think of individuals. But in the sense of God is, we could say three three personalities. Not not that God's split like a split personality, but these three are in so much unity and harmony and love for one another 
that they are absolutely one. There's one God in three persons. So, so it's, it's one of those incredible mysteries. But God is a God of love, and you see it even in, in uh, the, the book of Genesis. God said, let's make, let us make man in our image. Let us. So, and if you look at creation, every, everything is, includes the Trinity. You see, God is, is the one who speaks the word, and the word is Jesus, and all things were created by him and for him, and then the Holy Spirit brings it about. See, it's, they all work in conjunction in every aspect of what we have. The Trinity works together. And so because of, of that, before eternity, it says before the foundations of the world, God had a plan. He had a plan for us to be in relationship with him. He had even had a plan for the fallenness of man because man was given a choice and man chose to sin. But God had that even before the foundation of the world. He knew that Jesus Christ would come and he knew that he would lay down his life and be a sacrifice. So nothing ever surprises God. Nothing ever holds him off. But when he makes a promise, he ensures that he'll do it and it comes from eternity it comes from the very basis of what god says all that we have here all that we see the splendor and the glory and the great greatness of everything all this god set up so that he could have relationship with us it's just it's mind-blowing to think that god god desires so strongly to be with us and to be our god and for us to be his people. So every promise that God has flows out of his heart of love. This is important to understand. Every promise comes from a heart of love. God loves us. I say that all the time because, you know, sometimes it it takes a while to sink in. And it just, you know, more we hear it, the more it'll help, but we also need to experience it. Christianity is not a head thing. Christianity is not even a religion. When we call it Christianity, it makes it a religion, but it's a relationship with God. Everything's a relationship, and it comes out of his love. He's the one who initiated it. He started it. He created us for a relationship. We hunger after God. We have a place in our heart for God, and we can never be satisfied without it. But understanding that God loves you is really one of the key foundations to help you accept everything he has for you. It's ones that when we feel that God doesn't love us or we feel like we're coming as beggars or if we feel like, oh, I've, you know, God, I just can't approach you or I can't ask you for this or I can't believe for this because of what I've done, then we misunderstand the depth of God's love and that his love's not conditional. It doesn't move up and down. There are conditional things in us, you know, receiving things from God. It obedience obviously helps us to walk in God's ways brings life to walk in the opposite way brings death it's just the way it is and God's told us about this because he loves us so much he wants us to walk in his ways and walk in his paths and so this comes from his heart of love and he's communicating his desire every promise is based on on our best interest 
So the great thing about this too then is God's promises are based on his ability and his integrity. You know, when someone makes a promise that's beyond their ability to keep, even if they want to do it, even if they long to do it, even if that's their whole heart and their desire, but they lack the ability to do it, they can't fulfill that promise. But see, that's the whole thing is that God is able. He has the ability to do everything he said he'll do. He has the power and the authority and the ability to fulfill every promise. He doesn't just speak them idly. And to understand that too, he, um, he, he's a God of integrity. One of the things I, I like about the Lord is, is, is his steadfastness and his faithfulness. And actually, if you, if you ever go into the Old Testament and you do any studying on it, there's the word, the word for love, God's kind of love. In the Old Testament, it's called hesed. And what that has to do, it's a covenant love. It's, it's a relational love. It's something that's a strong and a powerful love. And that's the kind of love that God has. He has a love that, that's based on relationship. And, and so he, he moves very strongly. He's faithful to his love because he's a faithful God. And since he has integrity, he will not do something to manipulate. He will not do something to, to force us to do his will. He gives us opportunity to come to him and in his integrity fulfills everything that he promises to do. So... Um, then the last thing I want to say about this before we start looking in depth here in this a little bit is God's promises are based on a covenant. And on the bottom there you see it's a supercharged promise. A covenant is a supercharged promise. It, that's the way I look at it. It's, it's a promise on steroids. I don't know if that's a good way to even say it because steroids aren't always good. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's something, it's something, a covenant is something more than a promise. And so what we're going to do is look at the God of promises, the God who brings about everything that we have is based upon God's covenant and God's promise through the covenant. And so that's why we want to get this down and get it into our heart and understand what God has for us. So there's five aspects that I want to look at as what a covenant is. And and the first aspect is this. A covenant is a sacred... Well, let me say this. You can keep that up there, but a lot of people just focus on the legal aspect of a covenant. There, is a, there are legal aspects. There's blessings and cursings that were with any kind of covenant that was ever made. The idea is I'm going to be with you, and you're going to be with me, and we're going to do this thing together. We're going to be... And if you break this, then these things will happen in your life. These curses will come upon you. But if you keep them, then you walk in the blessing of this relationship. And so, so that's, that's really important to understand that it's not a, like a contract. It's not like, like, um, like we have nowadays. Okay, let's sign this contract. Now we're legally bound. And that's because of this first point. A covenant is a sacred kinship bond it's a kinship bond 
So when we when we come together in a covenant and in two people enter them in into it or it can be groups even groups of people enter into a covenant then it means we have this kinship bond what's the first thing that jesus really started teaching his disciples is that god was father didn't he always say that and so he said they said teach us to pray our father our father this is jesus speaking He's saying, my father is your father because of the relationship that we have. Now, you remember what he said to the ones who were the Pharisees. He says, you're of your father, the devil. <laughs> so they weren't, they weren't calling God father. And they, even if they were, they weren't of him because they didn't have that relationship. So that's important to understand that a covenant is based on kinship relationship where we become one with the other person we become part of the family and so when we we came to christ what what do we say that takes place is that we're born again and we become part of the family of god we're part of that relationship because that's what god's calling us into his family into relationship he's calling us to be his people he's he's gathering us to himself because he loves us and desires to be with us and so there's this whole idea of relationship. And I'm sure you've heard this many different times. Christianity, if we really look at what it's supposed to be, it's a relationship with God. So it's not a philosophy. It's none of those kind of things. There is philosophy in it. But it's that relationship. That's the important thing. That's the focal point. That's the key issue that we have. So the second thing, too, is that a covenant is made with a solemn oath. Isn't that interesting? A covenant is made with a solemn oath. And so what, is, what an oath is, is bringing God in as a witness to watch over what you are doing in this relationship. And that if, again, if if you break this covenant then there are consequences if you follow the covenant there are consequences good ones and not good ones right and so there's this solemn oath and there's a passage of scripture in hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 and what it says is that when god was making a covenant with abraham for example it says when he made a covenant with abraham since he could since he couldn't make an oath or swear, and swear means doesn't mean cuss. It means to, you know, there's different meanings for words. To swear means to, you know, make a declaration that they're going to do something. And so he, he says since he could swear by no one greater than himself because he's the ultimate being in our, in our universe and, and of all creation, he swore by himself. He says, I will fulfill what I say I'm going to do. And he swore by himself. Now, we can make an oath. And, and, you know, the scripture tells us that we probably shouldn't be doing that because then that we're bound by it. That's whether we like it or not. We're, we bind ourselves to the words that we speak. And especially when we do it before God. And 
And so he says, don't make an oath. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just do what you say you're going to do. And don't make an oath before God on any of it. Just say yes or no and do it. So there's this solemn oath, and God is, is one who said, I'm going to make my promises and fulfill them based on who I am. And we can see throughout the scripture, we can see the promises of God being fulfilled one after another, after another, after another. And we see that through the nation of Israel. We see it through all the different things that have become available through Jesus Christ, him even coming as part of the promises of God. So a covenant is made with a solemn oath. Now this is the part that I think is really cool. Because a covenant that, that like we're talking about right now, it's an exchange of life. It's an exchange of life. Do you remember the, we'll, we'll just give you a simple example. Do you remember when, when um, David and Jonathan, Jonathan made a covenant with David and he took off his armor, gave it to him and he did all this stuff. He exchanged these things as a visual sign of I'm, I will protect you with all my strength didn't guarantee him that nothing bad would happen to him, but he says, I'm with you. I will protect you. I am yours. It says his heart, he loved David with all of his heart and made this commitment. He knew he was going to be king, and he made this covenant and said, I I will be with you, and I'll be second in your kingdom. Of course, he couldn't do that because he was killed in a battle, but that was the plan, and so they made this commitment, this covenant with one another. And so that really becomes uh, an important part of covenant. It's an exchange of life. And so a covenant says, everything that I have is yours. Everything that you have is mine. Not that people walk in and, and just take things off your shelf, you know, <laughs> and say, well, it's my car, you know, now that your car is my car. But it's that idea of I'm giving myself to you and if you're in need I'm going to support you I'll be there with you you need a car you need this you need that I'm going to do that that's kind of the covenant that we're talking about and there's that kind of a relationship that there that's a it's an exchange of life and of course the greatest covenant that we have is because of Jesus Christ and that covenant he literally physically gave his life for us he poured out his life for us so that we could have life. And he poured it out so that we could have relationship with the Father, so that we could come to him. And so that covenant is, is a fulfillment. He literally gave us his life. And so the fourth thing about a covenant, it's involved in self-giving loyalty and sacrificial love. So when you make a covenant, you're saying, I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to be faithful to the promise that I've made. I'm going to be faithful to the commitment and the relationship that I have. You know, they call it the marriage covenant. And God's plan, God's plan was uh, always from even the very beginning that 
a man and a wife would be joined together for life. Now, we know that doesn't happen on the earth here because of sin and stuff that takes place, but God's plan, we got to go, what's his original plan? What's his original purpose? One man, one woman joined together for life till death do us part. And they would be joined together. And that's that's his heart. And so with a covenant then is that we're joined together. We're bound together. And this is this is something that will be for a long time. And and I'm probably getting ahead of myself because that's part of the next point too. But then there's a sacrificial love is that we give for one another. See, it's not, just, you know, a lot of times promises can be made by people who really don't have a lot of relationship with you and it's not really based on, on their relationship that they're trying to, to promise you. They're just giving you a promise. But when we're talking about a covenant now, it's one where hearts are joined together, lives are joined together, for, you know, future... Uh, Things are are joined together under that umbrella of the covenant. I'm going to be there with you through thick and thin, through the good times, the bad times. If things get tough, I'll help you. And so there's this idea of sacrificial love where we give of ourselves to minister and give life to the other. And, you know, it, what's so great about it, we talked about the Trinity here in that relationship that they have, that total self-giving love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They give themselves wholly and completely to one another. That's why God can be called love. God is love. That's the essence of who he is. And so love gives. Love reaches out. Love sacrifices in order to meet needs and care for people. And so that is an important thing. And so now we'll get to what I just said is the fifth thing about a covenant is that it is permanent and intergenerational. See, the covenant, you remember the covenant I just talked about with David and Jonathan? When David became king after Saul's death and he became king, he hunted down Mephibosheth, which was one of Saul's, uh, Jonathan's sons, but it he came to get him, sent men to get him, and I'm sure he thought, I'm a dead man, because that's what kings did. If they had any anyone from the previous king, they would kill him off and get rid of any possible things coming back, try to raise up against, for take the throne and stuff like that. And so he, I'm sure he thought he was a dead man, but because of the covenant that he made with Jonathan, he said, you come, you sit at the king's table, I will take care of you. I'll watch over you. I will, you're, you're my relative. You're mine uh, in that sense as, as far as that is. And he took care of him for the rest of his life. So that, that's an important thing to, to consider is that the covenants that God's making aren't just for us. The promises that God's making to us aren't just going to impact us, but they're going to impact the future generations are going to, touch our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids if the Lord doesn't tarry, huh? We never know when he's coming. He says he's coming, so get ready. We're always supposed to be ready. So there's this permanent promise, and God, when he makes a promise, he will not fail. It says in the Scripture that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, See, when God calls us to do something, it's not just uh, 
he doesn't just forget it. It's without repentance. That's why, why do you think the nation of Israel was resurrected after all those years? It's because of this promise to Abraham. I will give you the land. It was because of his promises to David. He came. It seems like, oh man, all those years and nothing. There was nothing. We're talking about um, quite a few years. 1,800 and 1,900 years. It seems like the promise is not fulfilled, but God fulfills every promise. And so he raised up the nation of Israel because God had made a promise. So he's faithful to keep that. Now, I just want to say this, too. I'm kind of going systematically here, but it's it's just kind of fun to do, too. I wanted to give us a super quick overview of the Bible here in the next moment. And just give, I want you to get a big picture because um, sometimes looking at individual books, we're looking for interesting things that are in there. But I want to I go big picture. So the big picture is that, first of all, that the Bible's not a book of rules and regulation. It's not a book of philosophy. It's not a book to follow apart from God. It's, it's a book to draw us to God. It's, it's, a, it's a book that focuses on relationship with God and building that and growing that. There's a scripture that talks about how all the things in the Old Testament, you know, I have, I have people that I run across that don't read the Old Testament. They say, I hate the Old Testament. The Old Testament's the Old Testament. We're New Testament believers. But, you know, if you look at it, there are hundreds upon hundreds of Old Testament quotes in the New Testament because there's a reason that the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is there. The scriptures are there to lay a foundation and to show us this, what's taking place in uh, all throughout history from, from creation even to the end of time because there are prophetic words that are being spoken. There's things that are in there that are yet to be fulfilled because God's plans and purposes don't change. What, believe it or not, every single, every single um, aspect of the gospel that, that is in the future was proclaimed beforehand. God proclaimed these things. He declared them. And for us to know them and understand them and to see that this is all a part. There's even a passage that talks about these things were written so that you may believe. They're talking about the Old Testament because the Bible wasn't compiled then. When these guys wrote their letters, they weren't compiled into the New Testament. They didn't have this all compiled till late 200 A.D.s to 300 A.D. These weren't collected and gathered together. They were just, they had portions of the New Testament. We are blessed to have the whole scripture that we have it laid out for us, and it's so nice in there for us instead of these guys. But they still, the Old Testament scriptures were the foundation. And then I want to say this too, because this is a misnomer, I think, that happens too. The Old Testament wasn't law, and the New Testament, faith. It's faith from the very beginning. It's faith from the very beginning. So before the law was ever brought into being, Abraham was, right? Because uh, it came through Moses way after Abraham, right? And so Abraham is called what? Father 
of faith. It says, because he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Even when the law came, it was not so that you could work your way into the presence of God. It was so that you could, you know, it says that the law was given to show us our sin and our need for a Savior. The law wasn't given to make us righteous because then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. He came because we couldn't be righteous. And the law just proved it. God was proving it. He wasn't saying, oh, I'm going to do this, this Old Testament law stuff until, until Jesus comes. The idea was he was showing people their need for God, their need for a Savior, that they couldn't do it themselves. And so it's always about faith. Those in the Old Testament that respond in faith have the very same thing we have. They have, they have Jesus because they looked forward to Jesus. We look back to what Jesus has done, right? But they have him. They're in his presence, these Old Testament believers. That's wonderful. So the other thing is that every single book in the Bible is focused on the covenants of God. Now, if you just read it as a story, oh, this is just a story. Let's take Ruth, for example. Just Ruth, it's just a story. Well, it is. It's a pretty interesting story. But it's also, did you know Ruth was part of the lineage of Jesus? That the reason that that story's in there, because it's part of the bigger story. And if you look at the scripture, and why, you know, have you ever gone, why do they have so many goofy lists of names? This, the son of that, the son of this, the son of that, the son, and it's so boring, you're going like, <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna speed read. Okay, because you know, or I don't know if if you do this, you either skip it, or if you do it like I do it, I just look for names. I don't read. And so and so was the son of so and so because they go that's over and over. And so and so begat so and so begat and bat 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 bat. You know, and off it goes. So I just go. But if you sit down and you take all these things. The reason that they were keeping track of this is because it was a prophetic word that Jesus Christ would come from a certain lineage, that the Messiah would come, and, and it goes all the way from Adam, and it goes all the way to Jesus Christ. There was a lineage, and, it was, and there's different prophecies that you connect and put together, and it shows how this works. So that really becomes an important part that when these scriptures are here, all right, so for example, you go, well, how about how about Jonah? That's a, that's a book. All it is is a, Jonah's running away because God's going to be nice to Nineveh. And Nineveh isn't Israel. Nineveh isn't really part of the promise. Well, you know, God's promise through Abraham is that he would bless all nations. Through him, all nations would be blessed. And so God sent a prophet to a nation that was opposed to him and gave them an opportunity to come. You see, he reached out to the Gentiles even before Jesus. You know, some people don't see that, you know, when they talk about different things. He reached out to them. He came to them. And why did Jonah run away? I knew you were merciful. I knew you'd forgive them if they turned. I knew it. And he hated him, and so he ran away. 
He tells us the reason I'm not making it up. It's in the scripture. And so what, why did God confront them? Because he loved them and wanted them to come to him. He didn't want to destroy them because of their wickedness. He wanted them to turn. And when they turned, what did he do? He relented. Because of his mercy. Because he loves them and wants them to be saved. So you see those things. All these different books combined together to show the picture of God's story of what he desires to happen and take place. So it's powerful and it's good. And so here's the main focal point of the Bible. Aren't you glad I'm going to give it to you? (laughs) At least from my perspective, the main focus of the Bible is God and his relationship with his people. That's it. That's the main focus. So if you read it and you're trying to get all this other stuff, sometimes we miss the big, big picture. I, like, I love studying this stuff, and I love laying it out and going through history in my mind, and, and I don't know why, but I do. But I, I like to go through and, and look at this plan, and I think it through in the different ways and how God moved in each different season and time and what he did to bring about his purpose. It's amazing. But the reason is because he wanted relationship, and that's the whole thing. And so... If we look at creation, God says, let's make man in our image. And so what he created man for was not just to have a buddy in the garden. I don't know if you knew that. He didn't just say, oh, I need a friend. I'm kind of lonely. So I'm going to just create Adam and Eve and, you know, put them in the garden. And I'll visit them, you know, so I'm not lonely in the universe and That's not why he did it. He did it because he wanted to have relationship with Adam and Eve, but he also wanted them to rule and reign with him. He gave them authority over the earth, the whole earth. He gave them authority over the whole earth. Now, of course, they couldn't do anything about it instantaneously, right? Because it says, so then what did he say? He gave them a blessing. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, keep expanding and growing and take, take authority over this globe, over everything, anything that creeps or anything on the face of the earth, you take authority over. And you rule and you reign with me. See, that's what God wants. He wants people who are with him and who are walking with him and who are, are living a life with him, not not just even as friends, that's part of it, but he's still Lord, and that means he has something for us to do and for us to, to walk in that out of a relationship of wholeness and just walk with him. It's awesome. So you go through the scripture, and you'll see this over and over again. As you read through, just mark different times where God says stuff similar to this. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. I'm showing you the very last thing that it talks about as far as, you know, we talk about going to heaven and stuff, and a lot of people think we're going to sit in the clouds. They always show it playing harps and doing all that kind of stuff and, and all that kind of thing. But, you know, this, this book of Revelation shows us what God's plan is. He created the heavens, and he created the earth. He placed us on this earth. And 
at the end of time, that begins what we'll call eternity for us. The rest of eternity, we'll say, because uh, eternity is another thing. God's going to place us on this earth, and we're, he's going to be in our midst. He's going to be here on the earth, dwelling in our midst, even though he's the Lord of heaven. He's also the Lord of earth. It says in Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Now, Peter tells us that it burns up. God just burns it up with an exceeding great fire. But then, obviously, he recreates it. He speaks forth because he's the creator God. He speaks forth a new heaven, a new creation, a new earth untainted by sin, untainted by the junk that's gone on in this life. He says, there was no longer any sea, and I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And so who's the new Jerusalem? It's, it's all of us. It's all the believers, all those who have called upon his name. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So God says, all right, I've taken care of all this sin junk. I've taken care of all this garbage that's been polluting this life and polluting our lives and causing all the stuff that's taken place. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to dwell in your midst. I'm going to live with you on on a new earth. And we're going to do stuff. God has stuff for us to do. It talks about like in these new, new times, there's obviously cities. We need a place to live. It only talks about the new Jerusalem coming down. But I believe that's us. It's a picture of the people of God because it says the bride of Christ. God's not married to a city. He's married to a people. And so he he's, has this place for us to come together and gather with him. And he's going to be in our midst, and that's awesome. Now, I don't know how this works. We do have a glorified body, right, at this point. So we can handle God's presence. Sin made us weak. And we cannot be in his presence. If he showed his full glory, we'd be destroyed. It says he dwells in inapproachable light. We can't approach him. But when we have our new bodies, we're going to be able to handle him. Now we might fall down, like it says in the scripture many times, and worship and praise him and do those things. We might obviously do that, be involved in that. But we're going to live lives, but we're going to live them the way God truly intended it to be. I think it'll be awesome. I have my own ideas. You don't have to lock your door. You don't have to have a password on the internet. No, you know, stuff like that, because nobody's going to come in and rip you off. But, uh, no, that's not even close to what I'm, it's going to be way better than that. <laughs> but, you know, some of those things that you always have to do, you have to lock everything. You have to be careful so someone doesn't rob from you when, in the, New heavens and new earth, those things are not going to be part of 
what's going on because we're going to be living in a different way than we are here. That's for sure because God set all things straight. So now I'm talking about a God of promise. So 2019 for us is a year of promise where God's going to focus and he's going to speak to us about his promises. Now I know all of us have promises from God. We've heard these promises and for some the promises have been for so many years we wonder will this ever happen and for some we might have actually given up and surrendered and just said it's not happening but I want to encourage you to resurrect the promises of God and as you go through the the next weeks just begin to ask the Lord God you said this and begin to speak to him about some of the promises that he spoke. Now, some do take time. I mean, there's, that's, the, that's the most frustrating thing. You know, I think God, when I first got saved, God had <clears throat> given a few different prophetic words that I judged as being from the Lord and I received as being from the Lord. And some of those don't come come about till towards the end of a person's life. I'm starting to see some of the things that God spoke like 36, 38 years ago. They're starting to come into being because God, when he makes his promises, he doesn't make them for a week ahead of time. He's speaking into our lives. When he gives us a promise of what we're going to become and walk into Many times there's a whole process that we it, we like to do this in our minds. We skip over. We skip to the, the good stuff. God, you said this. Yeah, but you're going to walk through this whole thing, and then you'll walk into the fullness of what I have for you. And so for us to stir up those promises, to remind the Lord, God, God's not offended when you remind him of a promise. Actually, the word remember, when that's used, you know, when Jesus took, you know, the Lord's Supper, he says, do this in remembrance. When he's saying remember, remember is a word that focuses on covenant. Remember the covenant. Remember the promise that was given. And so do this in remembrance of me. What did Jesus promise us? What did he say that he came to do? What did what did he proclaim as truth what promises has he he given he says remember them and then there are scriptures that talk about remind me we're to tell god stuff hey remember this not in a rude obnoxious way god do you remember this promise i'm growing weary or i don't think it's ever going to come about help me lord to stir this up and believe you because you're faithful. You'll do it. And to, to really look at it. And then, you know, there might be some promises. Have you ever done this? I have. There might be some promises that you thought were of God, but they really weren't. That can happen. We can think we hear God. That's why we have to test things to make sure they're of the Lord. So that we can know, you know, so that's important. All right, I'm going to wrap up here with this. It'll take a, a moment or two. 
You know me. (laughs) But in the scripture, there are six covenants. So we talked about covenant, what it is. There are six covenants that we see, or at least that are acknowledged by most scholars and stuff like that. The first one is with Adam. And so, do you remember when God was speaking to Adam and Eve and the serpent after they sinned against the Lord and ate of the fruit? And he said, cursed is the lamb because of this. But in the midst of this, God gave him a promise. He gave a promise of one who was going to come and he was going to crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent would bruise his heel. And then it talks about, see, it just says this so just one little line just says this little thing, and it says, and then he clothed them with the fur of an animal or with the skin of an animal. And so when he was talking about that, what he was doing is he was making a sacrifice on behalf of them. He was sealing the covenant because the covenant is sealed with blood. And so he sealed this covenant that this promised one would come. And so we have that what they call the Adamic covenant. Then there was the covenant with Noah. And it's kind of interesting if you look at these covenants as we go through them. They're going to start with just Adam. Adam and Eve, just one couple. And then when we get to Noah, God makes a covenant with him. Remember after the flood and they land on top of the mountain, they come out. And the reason that they took seven clean beasts in, in, of uh, pairs of beasts is so that they would be able to offer sacrifice unto the Lord. And so they came and they made a sacrifice and God made a covenant with them. He set a bow in the sky and he said, he said, I will never flood the earth again. And that's been true. We've never had a flood that's covered the full earth like it did in the time of the flood of, of Noah. But now his promises expands to Noah and his family. He has three different lines, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Is that right? No, that's not right. Or is it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Sometimes you go, did I say the right name? And so remember, the line comes uh, through Shem. And so that's really important that now the promises are expanding and they're increasing. And then we go to the person of Abraham. And even though the covenant that God made with Abraham, he actually made three different covenants. He made a, a starting covenant and then expanded it and then expanded it again. As Abraham kept walking with God and proving to be faithful to God, God doesn't take away from his covenants, but he can always add. That's a cool thing. So when we're faithful, when we walk with him and we trust him and we believe in him, he can expand things for us. And so Abraham was given a promise, but now this promise was given to Abraham and to his generations. He was talking about God said to him, I'm going to make you the father of nations. So he's he's expanding and increasing this, this covenant that he had. Then there was the covenant with Moses. And that whole thing that took place in Israel was to be a light shining in the darkness. Israel was to to show people uh, to stay true to God and to show the nations around them that were just steeped in in the worship of multiple gods and all this. They were to be a light that shined to show the culture and the life 
that was so different from the culture and the life of everyone around them. They were to show and be a light set on a hill. And they were given the law to, again, we already said to show them. So, um, but life was to be focused around the presence of God because that's when God set things up and he, he, he came in the midst of them and they set up the tabernacle so that they could worship God. And you remember when they were in the wilderness, the cloud of fire and the pillar of a cloud was always around, leading the children of Israel and over the presence of of the tabernacle. And so there's this promise focused around his presence that it was to be to the nations. So it's kind of fulfilling what was talked about through Abraham. And then the next covenant is David. And David was promised an eternal throne. He was promised that this is going to be something where where he would have an heir that would sit upon the throne, and that would be every uh, over all the different nations. And that's of course, is Jesus, right? We know the heir is one, not just a, a line of succession and all those kind of things, but one out of the line of David would sit on the, his throne forever, and that would be the person of Jesus. And then the final covenant, it's what we call the new covenant. It's a covenant with Jesus. And this is the one that we get to participate in. We actually get to participate in a lot of these covenants, but the new covenant is something that, that God said, this is the fulfillment of what I'm, I'm going for. This is the fulfillment. Uh, he says there, there's not going to be any law in the sense of us having to do sacrifices and all those things because Jesus fulfilled the law. What we do is we live by faith. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice of his blood covers us from all sin. And so we're able to walk in this newness of life. Uh, Jeremiah talked about this, and we're going to read two two scriptures here. Jeremiah talks about it. He says uh, in chapter 31, verse 31 through 34, he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. There's that relationship stuff again. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Hey, does that sound familiar? They will not teach again each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. So God says there's going to be coming this new covenant where I'm going to do something in the hearts of people that are going to be so dramatically different from anything that's taken place under the law, and that's what God does. He, he renews our heart. He gives us a brand new spirit. And we have that relationship with God, and he places it in us and gives us the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in us. So there's this promise of a covenant. 
And here's, here's the verse that I want to leave us with, and that all of the promises that we have are based upon, okay? In Luke chapter 2, I think that's wrong. It's got to be 20-something. <laughs> typo. It's a Terry typo. It's in verse 20, by the way, so it's got to be 20 or 21 of Luke. It says this way, in the same way, he took the cup. Now, this is the time where he's with the disciples. They're eating the Last Supper, that's what we call it. They're eating the supper, and Jesus takes the cup. After they had eaten, saying, the cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Well, it tells you right there. Wrong wrong verse, right? <laughs> Rats. But this is what it says. And in the same way, they took the cup, and after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. God wanted relationship with us. And God loved us so much that he sent his son to die as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so that we could come and be with God. And that's the important thing. That's the vital thing. Again, the whole scripture focuses on relationship with God and following after him. So the simple application of this is I want to encourage you, stir up the promises. Find the promises and begin to look to the Lord. Begin to, sometimes you might even have to take a step toward it. You might even have to do something in order to take the next step. And some things you might just have to wait patiently for because the Lord has his timing. Always says it like this in the scripture, at the right time. God did this. At this appointed season, God did this. It's because he has a time frame. So, Lord, I just ask that by the grace of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to just take those precious promises that you have given us and to restore them and to bring them to the forefront and begin to look at them again and begin to... um, Allow our hearts to experience hope, faith. And Lord, trust that you'll do the things that you say. So just bless each one, I pray. I just ask for favor upon each of us as we leave this place. May God's face just shine on you. May his presence be with you. May you understand that you are the light of the world and that all the promises of God are yours in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, God bless you guys. I think we got stuff downstairs. If you'd like to go down and chit-chat for a while. Chitty, chitty, chat, chat. If anyone likes prayer, please come. <laughs>